Welcome back to the Read the Bible podcast. This is our third podcast on James. We're going to be reading chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. So starting chapter 2, verse 1, My brothers, or brothers and sisters, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, And if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich ones are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? James starts saying that we shouldn't show preference to people based on their economic situation or their social standing. That should not be what the church is about. Uh, Interesting thing before we get into that, chapter 2, he says, if a rich or a poor man, chapter 2, verse 2, he says, if a rich or a poor man comes into your assembly... That's the word he uses in the English there. It's translated in the English assembly. In the Greek, it's synagogue. Synagogain is the way they'd pronounce that word in the Greek. It's where we get synagogue from. And they definitely had the word church at this point, ekklesia uh, in the Greek. But here he says synagogue. Um, Kind of interesting stuff why he'd use that. Perhaps they were meeting in the synagogue. Maybe that's where the people were meeting. Um, which is kind of an interesting thing to think back about what the early church was like and early believers were like. Uh, maybe they were sort of renting out a room in the synagogue or using, um, using the space there. Or maybe it's just me, since we're a church without a building renting in the high school, that I like to think of the early church as renting as well and not owning their own building but using the existing synagogue, renting it. I love meeting the high school. We don't have to pay for the parking lot when it gets repaved. We don't have to pay for the roof to fix it. We don't have to pay to heat and cool it throughout the week when it sits empty, like most churches do. We can rent it for Sunday mornings, uh, and we can use it um, for our benefit financially and spatially. And so James makes a point we shouldn't treat people differently based on social standing or economic status. I have talked with a few different ministries. I was thinking about joining one ministry, um, or looking into it, I should say, uh, where the they told you, as a youth ministry, they told you that their strategy, their explicit written-down strategy to reach people for Christ was to try to recruit the popular students first. And it was well-intentioned. It was that if the popular students will come, well, then everyone else will come too because they all want to be around the popular students. And so because of the glory of the popular students, essentially, uh, these other people will come and hopefully then that they also experience God's glory. But that goes against so many things in Scripture. It definitely goes against this uh, passage in James. It also goes against one of my favorite passages Jesus taught in Luke chapter 14. Jesus tells of a great banquet and a wedding feast. And he says, uh, a man is having a Luke Luke chapter 14, verses 12 through 24. It says, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. 
At the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I've bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. And so essentially all these people got things going on, right? They got their own lives. They're moving uh, places in the world. They're going places. Uh, the first person, he has bought... Um, a field. Uh, now that's going to be a business. He's going to turn that field into a farmer's field for sure. He's going to go out and see it. Maybe he's going to rent it out. It's going to be a huge source of income. I mean, this guy's going places in life. Um, he's moving up in the world. Another one has bought five yoke of oxen. Now that's huge. That's like, you know, that's buying your uh, fleet of semi-trucks there. You've now got a distribution center, a business going there. He's got to go examine them. He's got things going on. He's an important person. He doesn't have time for the Lord doesn't have time for the things of God. He's he's busy making money. He's doing things. And, they, of course, I don't want to, you know, owning your own business is awesome. I mean, these are good things here. But um, the point is, we'll get to the point in a minute. Another, I've married a wife. Another great thing. I cannot come. Enjoy your wife. It's a great time. Uh, but all these people are taking their eyes off of Christ and other things. Sometimes the more noble idols are the um, more dangerous ones because we can convince ourselves we're really making something of this life, of this world. But if, our, uh, if we're not right with God, if our eyes are not on the Lord and the things of the Lord, then we got a problem. And so verse 21, the servant came and reported these things to his master. The master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city. Bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. People who ain't got money for these things. People who don't, aren't physically able to do these things. They'll, they, you know, they'll listen. They got time. And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done, and still there is room. And so the kingdom of God is, you know, is like that. It's Jesus trying to get anybody who will come, anybody who will listen to be saved, uh, because he has a heart for everybody. But kind of the way things turn out is people who are self-sufficient don't really ever stop to slow down to think about their dependence on the Lord. And therefore, they end up oftentimes uh, going towards other idols in their life, whether it be their careers could even be their families, and uh, they're more prone to missing the kingdom of God and instead making their life about other lesser idols. And so we should ask ourselves, who are we reaching out to in church? When we come to church, are we looking to be seen? Are we looking to you know, connect with people that you know, maybe we think are super cool, we'd love to be around, people who lift us up? Now, certainly we need to be lifted up, but is that you know, all we're doing? Or are we reaching out to people who might really be interested in talking or joining with us? Maybe we have that opportunity to lift other people up. Maybe we have that opportunity by reaching out to people who are left behind or forgotten. People who come into church in shabby clothing, as James puts it here. We have a great opportunity to minister to others as well. And what are to apply this to our lives? You know, what are we as a church doing? Uh, one of the reasons I love Cornerstone is just anybody can come and connect. Uh, I've gone to other churches in the area and, um, you know, not to name names, but some of those churches, they seem almost like they're going for more of like, you know, a nightclub vibe uh, where it's just like super cool. I mean, super cool stuff over there. Um, I've gone to chur church places around here where I just definitely don't feel like I fit in because it's like I'm not wearing the right clothes. I don't have the coolest, trendiest hairstyle, you know what I'm saying? Um, and everybody doesn't look like me, and people don't necessarily talk to me. I know what it's like to be <laughs> the person in shabby clothing, I guess I should say. Uh, and that's why I love Cornerstone. We're just down to earth. 
regular people, um, one of the first things people often say about our church is that they were just welcomed here and they weren't welcomed this way anywhere else. Um, so I love that. Let's keep that going and let's ask ourselves, how are we contributing to that? Um, are we the ones who are going out of our way to welcome new people who don't have relationships yet? Maybe don't have the social standing in our church or people who come in and, um, yeah, maybe they're a little dressed in shabbier clothing or whatever it is. Are we looking to reach out to them and connect with them and uh, bring them into the body of Christ as well? And James talks about this distinction between rich and poor again, which he did in the first chapter as well. In verse 9 and 10, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. Um, and so there's more of the rich and poor distinction. Uh, James talking about uh, later on, are the rich not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? Are the rich ones not the ones who oppress you and drag you into court? And so there's a few different things uh, to be said here. And the goal is not here to vilify rich people and, you know, make off as though poor people are innocent of sin. Uh, that's not the goal. But, um, you know, for the most part, early Christians were oppressed by wealthy people, people of means. And... You know, even today, as you think about the you know biggest threats to uh, the church, the biggest ones who may oppress the church, not that the church is really experiencing any significant oppression now, but um, you know, it's the ones in power, the ones who've got uh, the wealth, the ones who've got you know the ability and the means that um, can change culture. They're the ones who can oppress the church. You know, there's not a lot of oppression going on, but let's just talk about it. Uh, Christian schools are under attack. Um, Christian bakers are under attack. I mean, there's some of it out there, right? Um, if you don't bow to the idol of um, diversity, and not just diversity of people, but diversity of behavior, um, essentially what has happened is sexuality has become, instead of a behavior, it's become an ethnicity. Uh, so if you don't embrace all... Uh, sexual behaviors, you're seen as a bigot and racist. And if you are a school that has uh, guidelines for your sexual behavior, then you are under attack. And it's wealthy people, people of means, uh, people in power who come and do that. And so, you know, that's James' point. Like, you know, you suck up to, and James is saying, like, in this, you know, in this passage here, don't suck up to the rich people. They're often the ones who are doing the, you know, being the ones who have the most power to oppress others, and they're oppressing people in the church. Um, let's just be honest, James says. Now, poor people have their fair, sh fair share of sin as well, so the goal is not to vilify um, one and exalt the other. Um, but James also says in verse 9 and 10 of chapter 1, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. Um, the lowly is exalted in Christ. Uh, the rich should be humbled by the gospel. Uh, all people should be humbled and all people should be exalted. But James here is just talking about how the gospel exalts um, people who are lowly in a special way. Um, they haven't gotten that message of uh, acceptance or greatness or glory much in their lives. Well, the rich have gotten that a lot more. And so the people who are lowly can boast in that Christ has exalted them through his death and resurrection. Um, and the rich people should be humbled in the fact that their wealth, their power isn't saving them. It's going to fade away like the grass. And so there's a few points in James here where he talks about how it's, you know, blessed to be 
Uh, there's a, a blessing that comes with being poor. If you're poor, you are not self-sufficient. You realize your sufficiency. Uh, Jesus is sufficient. You're fully dependent on Jesus. Poor people know what it's like to be dependent. And rich people oftentimes uh, lose that sight of that. They uh, feel self-sufficient and they lose sight of their need for Christ. And so there's blessings that come with being rich. Um, there's blessings that come with being poor. And we shouldn't be looking to cater to one and not the other. Um, as James says in chapter 5, listen, my beloved, uh, verse 5 of chapter 2, Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? That's what he means, chosen the poor to be rich in faith. They're the people who aren't focused on their field or their marriage or whatever is going on. You know what I mean. They're, they have the capacity, um, they have the understanding of dependence um, that makes it easier for them to grow deep in faith. Verses 8 through 13. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And so James talks about the scripture which says, says you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's uh, Leviticus 19.18 in the Old Testament. And of course, Jesus teaches on that as well. Uh, one of the more important passages uh, in the Bible in Matthew chapter 24, someone comes up to Jesus and they say, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. Actually, it's, uh, sorry, chapter 22 of Matthew. Um, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And this is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so the two commandments are love God, number one, love your neighbor, number two. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. The whole uh, whole law of God is based on love. This is what love is. This is what we will do if we are loving, is we will just act like this. If we were naturally loving, all of this would just come naturally. And so James says to, you know, if you fulfill the role Law of the scripture by loving your neighbors yourself. Great job. Great job. But if you show partiality, then you are committing sin and convicting, convicted by the lost transgressors. Now, how many of us really don't show partiality? I mean, really, how many of us are not coming at something with an angle here or there? Um, I know, I know I do. And uh, that's a sin and need to repent of it. And because of that sin, I have become accountable for the whole law. To enter into heaven, we need to be perfect, and none of us are. Therefore, none of us are worthy of heaven. Jesus Christ makes us worthy of heaven by being perfect for us, and then giving us his righteousness and taking our sin on the cross. When he died on the cross, we get his righteousness. He gets our sin, and therefore we are made perfect and can now enter into heaven. And if we think we're doing a great job in life because, you know, we're not... Um, committing adultery or murdering, some of the things suggested later on in the passage, but we're showing partiality, we're still guilty 
of breaking that law. We are still worthy of hell and the judgment upon our sin. And that's James's point in these verses. Whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. We are all sinners, even if we haven't done great big public sins, but we've got some disgusting partiality in our hearts, some angles that we're playing for our own benefit, coming to those with means, because we are looking to get some of that to come our way. That's deep, dark sin. That's worthy of judgment as well. Thank God for Jesus, right? I mean, let's not just focus on the condemnation, but just another reason why I need Jesus, why I need his forgiveness. And uh, it's great to repent of our sin, to recognize it, um, to not hide it, to admit it before the Lord, repent of it, seek to grow in it, and then also trust fully in Jesus for his forgiveness for it. And we need his forgiveness for the sin of partiality. Um, let's repent of that. Let's repent of that and look to love our neighbors uh, a little bit more. Verse 12 and 13 are um, a little bit uh, open to interpretation um, here, but there's some powerful moments. Uh, so because we are transgressors of the law, even if we're not doing all these great sins, we got sin in our heart too. Therefore, we should speak and act as those who are about, who are to be judged under the law of liberty. Um, so it's called the law of liberty because it frees us from sin. Um, when we follow the law, it's a great blessing to us and to others. The liberty that we get there is from sin and evil. So we're going to be a slave either to sin or to Jesus, our freedom. We're never going to have control, in other words. Either we give up control to Jesus or we are controlled by our sinful desires. It's one or the other, but in one of those choices, we are free from evil. That's giving control to Jesus. And when we give control to Jesus and we follow his commandments, we, it's such a blessing. It's a, it's a real big deal. It's a wonderful thing. Um, and so he calls it the law of liberty. We'll never have control, but under one choice, we'll be free from evil. We'll have liberty there. That's great. But he's talking about being judged under the law where um, none of us are perfect, and therefore all of us are guilty of our sin and worthy of judgment. And so we should be humble even if we're not committing all these great acts of sin, public sin, we still have deep, dark sin in our hearts. Therefore, we should speak and act like people who will be judged and uh, are worthy of hell. Uh, that should keep us humble, keep us from looking down at others. Now, James just throws this verse out there real fast. He doesn't deal with much of the implications of it, but they are, are quite grand implications. Uh, we should not look down on others who commit public sin because even though we might not have committed that sin, we've got that sin in our heart. It's in there. Um, it may not have come out yet due to circumstance, due to uh, being fortunate and receiving godly teaching at a young age, all these different reasons why that sin might not have come out yet in us that is so public in someone else. But because we are worthy of hell ourselves, even though we might not have been caught in that public act, um, we should still be just as humble just as humble before Christ. And that is a connection between verse 12 and verse 13, I believe. Uh, James doesn't explicitly go into a lot of those implications of being humble because we're judged under the law, but certainly the implication uh, there that's not incredibly obviously stated, but is, is definitely there, is uh, we need to be humble and not judge others. Now, 
let's go to one of my favorite passages, Luke chapter 6, verse 37. It says, Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Now, this doesn't mean that we don't judge sin or don't tell people that they're wrong when they sin or that they should, you know, that we don't tell them that they uh, should stop when they sin. Like, we should certainly do all that. We should lovingly challenge each other. But but we shouldn't, like, judge others in that, you know, looking down upon them while thinking that, you know, we are without sin. We're somehow above them. You know, you hypocrite, take the... Uh, speck uh, the log out of your own eye before dealing with the speck in someone else's. That's the kind of judgment. And so that's what James is saying here. Uh, it's not that we just lose all morality and turn a blind eye to evil, and that's what it means to not judge. But it means that we uh, understand that we haven't put ourselves in other's shoes. And if we were in their shoes, we'd probably be doing the same thing. And so we shouldn't judge them. Uh, we are no better uh, just, you know, I've said this a few times before, but I'd like to say it again. Like, I just don't think, you know, we tend to think so highly of ourselves, and I don't think we should. If we were in Nazi Germany, you know, do you think we'd really be among the few who were still, you, you think you're Ox Oscar Schindler, right? Like, how many Schindlers were there? A couple? Like, we always think, oh, well, if I was there, uh, I'm, I'm a good person. I would have done, you know, Schindler. I, probably not. Probably not. Um, we probably would have been the ones with our heads down trying to get through life. You know, we might not have been actively hurting anybody, but we, you know, I don't think we should necessarily think that we are the ones who are, you know, the tip top of it. I mean, it's a very rare few people who really do these exceptional things. When Jesus was crucified on the cross, it was only Mary and John there. You know, I like to think that if I was there, I'd be at the cross with Mary and John. But who's to say? I probably would have ran like just the rest of them. Um... I'm not as exceptional as I like to think. I don't think a lot of people are as exceptional as they like to think. And, uh, you know, if we if we sit there and, and take a moment and think, well, I, I shouldn't even judge. I shouldn't even judge the people who, you know, brought Jesus to his death. You know, what if I was one of them? What if I was a chief priest or a scribe and, you know, I had my backing my financial backers who I needed to keep their interests in mind and everybody's interests in mind. I mean, that's just the nature of life, right? Suddenly Jesus comes along and you're not so much about following God anymore as you got all these people breathing down your necks. They want the favors returned. They want this and they want that. And, um, you know, it's a challenging thing uh, to be in power. So there's all these, you know, things that we can do and judge and say, oh, I would have done it better. I wouldn't have been among those who were condemning Christ. I wouldn't have been among these people or whatever. And I think, uh, I think the situation is a little different. I don't think we should judge other people. We don't know what situation they're in. We don't know what they've gone through. And um, that's what I think it means to not judge others, to not think yourself higher than others, uh, to be quick to forgive and to not be um, cheering condemnation. Luke chapter 6, condemn not. And you will not be condemned, forgiven, you will be forgiven. We should be willing to forgive others. God is. It's good enough for God. That should be good enough for us. God is willing to forgive the evil in us. Wonderful. Thank God for that. Uh, he's willing to forgive the evil in others as well. We might not like that so much. We might want God to bring justice to them while forgiveness to us. Uh, we might want to judge them while looking for forgiveness ourselves. Um, but judgment is without mercy. 
to one who has shown no mercy. And so when you're looking at somebody else who has sinned against you, just remember their situation. Um, if you were in their situation, if you were them, you would have done the same thing. Because if you were them, you'd be doing what they do. Um, therefore, it doesn't make what they do right, and it doesn't make what we do right, but it does help us to judge the sin and not the person. Um, and that is not our position. Use mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment, James says. And so that's it for this week. Next week, we're going to hit uh, the, the most famous section in James about faith, faith and works. And so I'm looking forward to coming back next week and reading the Bible with you again. 